Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Today I have a fun conversation for you with Fred Katz from the Norman Transcript. Fred's a real good friend of mine, been on the podcast before. Going to talk to him about Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, Fred has been front and center through the whole Westbrook experience this year, and we talked about what it's like covering him and being around that team on a daily basis. From there, we got into you know what what the season has been like being around Westbrook, uh, how you know in re- referencing my column from Thursday about him being you know kind of the NBA's version of a Rorschach test now, um, you know how that has impacted the way the Thunder have developed this year and how they're going to develop going forward. Then we also talked about the first round series they have with the Oklahoma with the Houston Rockets and how the Thunder you know, really need to get back on track in Game Three and what they need to do to turn things around. So. Uh, it was a fun conversation. I think I think you really enjoy it. Uh, hopefully you hopefully you'll stick through it and see how it goes. Uh, before you do though, just a reminder: uh, please subscribe to the Monday Morning Post Up. Uh, been uh, been enjoying doing it, uh, doing it daily during the playoffs. A fun read. Uh, people who have gotten it have enjoyed it. So hopefully you'll give it a shot uh, to subscribe to it. Go to wapo.st/postupnewsletter. That's wapo.st/postupnewsletter. Please go subscribe and check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, but with that, let's get to my conversation with my man, Fred Katz. All right, Fred. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I know you just got back from Houston today and, and went to Thunder practice. So, um, you know, I know this pod's not going to go up till the morning, but what is the, what is the general mood uh, in Oklahoma City and specifically around this Thunder team you know, after going down 2-0 in the series and going into obviously a uh, a pretty critical situation Friday night back at home for game three. I think they seem focused is probably a good word. Uh, I think they were a little bit, you know, when the team gets down and they want to show that they're taking it seriously, not right. that they aren't taking it seriously, but they want to, they don't want there to be any misconception. You know, they want people to know that they're taking it seriously. Right. They're kind of, they're kind of they're in that mode, very serious, not a lot of joking around, not a lot of smiling all that much. I think they're frustrated for sure, especially after what happened in game two. Uh, but I, I think they're probably also happy to be coming back home because all year they've just been they, – they, I, I think they ended the year with the largest disparity between home and road winning percentage. So I think they, they might just be a little bit happy to be back in Oklahoma City. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, they're a team, you know, for, for all the talk about Westbrook, I mean, they are a team with their, uh, with their supporting cast that is, is going to kind of thrive – at home, you know, with all the athletes they have, the kind of frenetic pl- pace that they play at, um, crashing the offensive glass, kind of flying around, that's all stuff that you're going to benefit from being in front of that home crowd kind of going crazy, which, you know, as, as we both know, you know, that crowd in Oklahoma City is just about as good as, as any in the league. Um, but obviously with the Thunder, um, everything comes back to Russell Westbrook in some some shape or form. And after his... 51 point, 10 rebound, 13 assist game in uh, in game two. That also included him going four for 18 and, and really shooting the Thunder out of the game. I think, inarguably, in the fourth quarter. Uh, I know he was a little chippy last night and in a little bit of practice today. So, what is the uh, what is what is the current state of uh, of Russ's mood and mindset? I guess going into into game three for him. If I knew the current state of Russell Westbrook's mood and mindset at any given moment, <laughs> I would be the greatest Thunderbeat writer who ever lived. <laughs> I don't know, Tim. I don't know. Uh, he was the same. I don't know. He's the thing about Russ is that like his how he acts at a pre- press conference or like in a media availability is not always indicative of his mood. You know, sometimes 
Sometimes he'll go into it and you'll think he's going to be, it's going to be a tough day and he'll actually be in a really good mood or he'll seem like he's in a really good mood. And, and other times he'll, he'll come in and, and he'll just be a lot tougher. And he, he's been tough the last couple of, the last couple of availabilities. There's uh, there's no question about that, but like what he, you know, he's always messing with us. Like, that's the thing. Like I, I struggle to take what he says as his word sometimes because you know, he's always trying to mess with us. And so I don't always know if like he's actually kind of feeling this way or if he's just coming in saying, all right, let's just let's mess with the reporters today and, 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 and you know, acts like the way he has the last few times. Uh, this, is a, this is a serious question. I don't know if I've ever even actually asked you this. How tiresome is that? Like, I know you enjoy – I know you've enjoyed covering him, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, to get you to say that you, you don't, but um, I would feel like if I covered him on a daily basis like you have for this past season – that would have to wear on you at, at some point, right? Just kind of the constant, uh, uh, I don't know if tug of war is the right way to put it, but just kind of the, the constant, uh, you know, constant state of being unsure of where where things stand and what, what is coming next. Is that is that fair or am I, am I way off with yeah, that? Yeah, no, no, it's definitely it's definitely fair. It, there's no question that's fair. It's overall, it's, it's honestly not that bad. I Just because I think I was more – it's not it's not as tiring as it, it's frustrating in moments where you just kind of wish honestly i don't really care when he just kind of gives me a non-answer because mm-hmm. for the for the most part i don't always i don't really use his bites anyway because like there are a lot of guys on the team who are really good who are really good quotes like steven adams is a great quote and ennis canner is a great quote and andre robertson's a pretty yeah, good the quote. thunder the thunder are thunder are kind of a, a sneaky good quote team that doesn't count that doesn't even count billy donovan who you know, we'll talk for 20 minutes basically on one question. So you can always yeah. get something out yeah. of him. Yeah. He, his media availability went 19 minutes today. <laughs> that's Seriously, he went. And, that, and that's, minutes. and that's short for him. Yeah, it was, it was, it was incredible. It was, it was, it was, well, one of his answers was, one of his answers was uninterrupted 576 words. <laughs> it was amazing. My story, my story for today was 600 words. I considered just <laughs> copying and pasting that answer and just doing like a, as Billy Donovan told him. From, right. It saved me a ton of time. Uh, during the last, yes, it would. But uh, yeah, I mean, I tend to gravitate to whatever the best quote is, as opposed to whatever the biggest name is who said the quote. Right. And like guys like Adams and Canner are certainly recognizable enough and get enough playing time that, you can use that stuff. So I don't find it as frustrating. The stuff that does bother me is when he's making a very clear effort to embarrass someone. And you know me, I have no shame. So it honestly doesn't really embarrass me. You are the same person who asked yourself a a question in a press conference in the playoffs last year. So coming up on the anniversary of that, (laughs) I I expect some, I expect some like SB nation memorials of that. I'm sure there will Um, be, but, but I, um, I, it bothers me when he does it to, to other people like when he does it to me i'm like i'm someone he knows and like we actually have a pretty good relationship we when we when we see each other and we talk like he's he's actually good to me like we we honestly do have a a pretty we have a pretty about as good of a relationship as i think i'm possibly going to have with him because it's tough to get in with him obviously and he he doesn't really let you in like other players do he's he's you know he's just not as trusting right but 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 we do i think we have we at the very least have a good professional relationship. And, and when he does that stuff where like, you know, it goes viral, it doesn't bother me because I know, I know we have a pretty good relationship and it's just kind of him being him. But when he does it to people who he doesn't know, it just comes off as more malicious to me. Cause he doesn't know what that person is. He doesn't know what kind of a day that person is going to have. That's really the only stuff that, that bothers me. Well, this is why you're, this is why you're a super nice guy. Uh, Fred. <laughs> um, 
you know, and I, and I think that's fair. And, and, you know, like this is something that I've talked about with a lot of people who, um, you know, who don't, don't cover the NBA like us. Like when you cover a team like you have for this entire season, or like I have when I used to cover the Nets in the past and you're around every day for six, seven, eight months in a row, um, like you're really a lot more of a coworker with Russell Westbrook than you are with anybody from your newspaper. So you do even, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like you are best friends with him, but it's like if, if somebody listening goes to an office and they work with 12 people or 15 people or 25 people in their office every day, I mean, you kind of get to then have that same kind of relationship with, you know, the guy you say hello to at the coffee machine every morning at your office. It's kind of the same thing. It's obviously a different, uh, it's obviously a different world to live in because you're, talking to NBA players as opposed to somebody three cubicles over. Um, but it, it is kind of interesting how over time uh, you, you kind of develop that same kind of a relationship with, with the coaches and players and executives on the team you're covering after you spend you know, so much time with them you know, day after day, month after month, going from city to city, you know, obviously now being in the playoffs covering them. It, it is just kind of interesting how that relationship evolves over time. Yeah, there's no question. And, and 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 honestly, that's my favorite part of the job. Like being able to to cultivate relationships with people who I never would have otherwise obviously had the opportunity to do that and be able to like be able to tell develop those relationships and then be able to tell people's stories uh because you have those relationships. Like that um did you do you see the Andre Robertson piece that I wrote like last week it was? I um, I did, but tell the people about it. Yeah, so I did I did a piece where I sat down with Andre Robertson um, and, and broke down defensive film with him. And Andre's having a, a great, he had a great defensive season. I, I think he's, he's an all defense caliber player in my, in my if opinion. He doesn't, I, if he doesn't make it, he certainly should be in the conversation to make it. Right. You know, I, I think he's he, not going to make first team behind because you've got two obvious guys there with Kawhi and, uh, and Draymond Green. But if, I mean, he, there's no question he should at least be in the conversation to be a second team all defensive forward for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and Andre's a, a smart guy and we've developed like a really good relationship. We, we get along well. He's a, he's a super nice guy. And, uh, we, I just, I've, I've come to really enjoy talking basketball with him because I always thought he, he's just, he's really smart when it comes to X's nose and talking defense and fundamentals. And, and he's got this really good work ethic, studying film and that kind of stuff. And, um, I kind of said to him a few times, like, I, I think we should do, like, why don't we do a film session story? I was like, I said to him, like, look, you, you want, he wants to make all defense. Of course he does. He's a competitor. I said, like, a lot of this stuff is based on reputation. Get your name out there. Show people how smart you are with this stuff. And for me, I just get to write an awesome story. So he sat down with me for about, it was going to be for a while. I, I, I went through synergy and, and, and cut clips and prepared these clips for us to write to get for us to watch together. And, uh, a few times like PR people came over and they were like, all right, a couple more questions. And Andre kept shooing him away being like, no, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep doing this. And Andre sat down with me for almost, for it was like almost 40 minutes where he sat down with me and watched film and we did a one-on-one and like, but he's not going to do that with a random person. You know, right. like that's right. That you get that because of the relationship that you have. And that's, that's kind of my favorite. And I got to write a really like, that was my, that was one of the most fun times I've had putting together a story this year. And, and you get to do that because of the relationships you have with people when you're, when you're in this job, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, it's one of the things that I, uh, it's one of the things that I miss about being on the beat. Like, it's just, you get a different level of understanding and appreciation for a team when you're around it every single day. Um, you know, I, I really, 
I, I personally, it's kind of the way I'm wired. Like I, I kind of like being in the mix like that. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed my time covering the Nets for the same reason. Like you just get to know everybody on the team to the point where like now I, um, you know, when I go see Paul Pierce or Joe Johnson or, uh, you know, Darren Williams or one of these guys, Brooke Lopez, one of these guys from those teams that I covered, um, you know, it, it is it is funny because you it's it's like you kind of fall back into the same routine again. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I totally enjoy it. And that and you, you should uh, you should go you should go check out that piece. I'll link to it in the uh, in the blog, in the post that goes with the story or with the with the podcast. But uh, it was a really interesting read that that uh, that Freddie did with with Andre. And you should check it out. It's a good window into why, you know, Robertson has been such a good player for the Thunder this year. But all that being said, we probably should get back to Westbrook. And, you know, today I wrote a column for The Washington Post um, on how I think that Russell Westbrook has kind of become the NBA's version of a Rorschach test. And, and for those of you who don't know what that is, you know, if, you, if you've ever seen the inkblot test where you kind of, where people put a bunch of inkblots on a paper and you look at it and you try to determine what it looks like, you know, I feel like Westbrook has kind of become that person for the NBA where, and it's, and it's why I think the NBA, the, the MVP races here got so polarizing because the people who were pro Westbrook were so pro Westbrook. And it was, how dare you vote for anybody else? This guy is the only guy you could vote for. He's averaging a triple double. Look at this terrible team that he's got. He, they'd, be, they'd win 20 games without him. How, how can you possibly go against this guy? Whereas the people on the other side were saying, this guy is the antithesis of how basketball should be played. He's incredible. He's a, he's a huge ball hog. He doesn't let his teammates get involved. You look at you look at his teammates not really taking big steps this year. That's because he didn't put any trust in them. And it, it's just become this kind of circular, endless argument. And you look at yesterday's game. The guy has the highest scoring triple-double in NBA history in the playoffs, but then goes 4-for-18 in the fourth quarter and shoots the team out of the game. And after the game, that same argument starts up again with really no possible uh, way to determine what the right answer to it is. I, I might be the sole Russell Westbrook centrist. <laughs> well, I, wrote the that, only one. I wrote that column because it, the whole argument just kind of amused me. And I, I kind of feel the same way. Like, I don't uh, I think Westbrook has some serious flaws in his game. I, I but I also think that what he's done is pretty remarkable. And, you know, I, I, I just, I just find it amusing that there are, there just don't seem to be very many people who can kind of make that distinction at this point. It just kind of feels like you have to be either all the way in one camp or all the way in the other. Well, that's, that's America in 2017, isn't it? That's true. That is not just Russell Westbrook, but I mean, the thing with Westbrook is that it has a lot to do with style and like, it almost, Evaluating Russell Westbrook almost has something to do with basketball morality. Well, you know, that was, it, and that was where I kind of—that's kind of what the point I was getting at with the column. It was kind of like you either believe in what he's doing or you don't, and it kind of informs how you look at him. Right. It's not—it's not as much though what he's doing as it is how he's doing it. Right. You know, he's—he—he—if you look at like we've talked a lot about his fourth quarter production. There have been a lot of fourth quarters where he's just put up an outrageous amount of shots, and and they, the balls happen to go in. Right now. Now it hasn't been eighteen. That was <laughs> that was absurd. And right. to me, it wasn't just the number in that game right. of the eighteen shots that he put up in game two. It was it was how they were coming. Yeah. I mean, he he was he was great in the first three quarters. He was great in that game. He was great at halftime. 
he was attacking the rim and and yeah he had some pull up mid-range shots and that kind of stuff but it, they were off attacks they were off hard dribbles out of pick and rolls where he was able to get to a to spot determinedly you know in, in the fourth quarter I don't know if he was a little bit tired because he had played more minutes than he was used to playing or if it was because of just like the way that he was kind of starting to play but he was really coming down pulling up for three they were, took seven threes in the fourth quarter. He took four in the first three. He was coming down. He was pulling up for three off the dribble. He was coming down. He was lazily dribbling into a 20-footer, and he was putting up that shot. And he wasn't nearly attacking the rim the way that he was early in the game. And that helps him find guys. That helps him find Adams in pick and roll for that lob that he had earlier. It helps him find Oladipo for corner threes or something like that, even though Oladipo's not really making shots right now. Just the fact that you make those passes, you create those shots, it helps your defense on it. It helps your offense on ensuing possessions and 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 I the attacking wasn't there. He's just so much he's such a different player when he's attacking. Like I had this conversation with someone at halftime that when he's attacking, he's just he's as he's as good he's as effective as there is. When he's attacking, he's making the right decision around the basket. And when he's not, he can he can shoot you out of a game. And and I do agree that that's kind of what happened in, in game two. You kind of saw the best and the worst of Russell Westbrook in different moments. Yeah, no, and I, I think, you know, I think that that game to me did did sum up a lot of the flaws in Westbrook's game, right? Like he he's a guy that you know you, you look at look at some of the fourth quarters that he's had that have been you know these memorable quarters, right? Like you said the 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 game in Orlando or the game uh, against Denver. Like you look at some of these games and he did a lot of the same kind of stuff, but it just happened to work, right? And so those stand out. Now again, there aren't there weren't quarters like the one he had last night when he goes for 18 shots in a quarter, which is just completely bonkers when you think about it. Like to get up to get up a shot basically every 45 seconds in a quarter when there's a 24 second shot clock is is really uh, it's really hard to do. Um, but you know, especially when you talk about him taking seven threes. I mean, he's a guy that's never been a good three point shooter. Uh, was a little bit better from three this year than in the past, but still not great. Um, but he'll he'll tend to fall in love with that shot, right? And if if the Thunder start to get in a situation where they're struggling a little bit, and I mean he he will start jacking up shots and forcing stuff. And and I, I think you really I think you really saw that come to bear in that in that fourth quarter. Um, you you mentioned one thing though that I want to ask you about. He. You know, one thing people didn't really talk about a lot was he only played 34 minutes a game this year. And while I I think where some people say that that doesn't mean he wasn't, you know, kind of chasing after triple doubles is a little silly because I think if you watch the way the Thunder played, especially with some of the rebounding stuff, it was clear they were pushing him in that direction. Um, but, you know, he I think Billy Donovan deserves a lot of credit for not riding him for 38 or 39 minutes a game this year, like, say, the Cavs have been doing with LeBron, right? And do you do you think that he was feeling those extra minutes down the stretch. And maybe that was why um, he started kind of going off script and just doing kind of, kind of like when you think about when somebody reworks their shot and then when you get in the game and they get tired, they start to go back to their old form. Do you kind of feel like uh, from watching him, do you feel like those extra minutes maybe contributed to him kind of saying, all right, look, I can't, I just, I, I'm just going to go back to what I'm uh, what I do because I'm too tired to really, try to fit into the game plan and do do what I was doing before that. I think that's really possible. Yeah, I think that's so. I mean, when you get tired, what do you do? You you start pulling up for jump shots, and your jump shots start falling short. And that's what he was doing. He was missing a lot of shots short. He was pulling up. He wasn't really attacking the rim all that much. 
his his defense fell off. He was not having a great defensive game anyway. His second quarter was like he had some bad defensive plays in the second quarter, just like the Rockets getting corner threes because he just didn't run back in transition or or, you know, a couple of plays where he just wasn't contesting shots. Like it was down even from his usual defensive effort. But but his defensive effort was down. He was pulling up for jump shots. He was missing short. Like that to me says and it could have been it could just be a coincidence that that's what happened. I'm I'm open to believe that because he it's not like he's never played 40 minutes in a game before. He's done that and he's gone off in overtimes and that kind sure. of stuff this year and he sure. and he did have two two days off the night before. So if if someone just like who knows more than me just protests that and says no that's not correct, I'm willing to believe it, but that is what happens when you get tired. Like these are all symptoms of getting tired in a game and he was showing them. Yeah, no, I I think that's true. Now let, let's kind of dive into the to the analysis of this a little bit. So, you know, over the course of the season, like I said before, you've, people have kind of fallen into two camps, right? The one camp is, God, how is Westbrook doing this with this sorry sack of crap around him? And the other, the other camp is, you know, Westbrook has more talent around him than people think, and partly because of the way he plays and partly because of the fact that he's kind of making taking everything on himself, he's not really allowing anybody to... Um, to kind of expand their games in a way that potentially could. I know you're going to say you're somewhere in the middle on that, probably. So um, I'm not really asking you to pick one side. I'm or the actually other. not. I'm actually not not quite in the middle on that. Okay. So well, I, all right then. So what what which side of that kind of debate do you do you more fall on at this point? I think he has more talent than people say. I do. I first of all, people don't talk about the defensive talent on this team. Like Andre Robertson is is like we just said. He's he's at worst an all defense contending caliber wing who's going to make a lot of money this summer. Steven Adams had a really nice defensive season. Jeremy Grant has been pretty good defensively. Victor Oladipo's had a very solid defensive season. I think now I, I would I, I watched a lot of him in Orlando from last year before he came, just like old old Orlando games and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think he's a much better defender now than he was a year or two ago. He he doesn't gamble nearly as much. He's much more disciplined. He's gotten better at chasing guys off screens. Like I think he's a very solid defensive player. And he goes really hard. He's got a really good motor on the defensive end. Like they they have defensive talent. Like this team was they were tenth in defensive efficiency this year. They they won on the defensive side of the ball. Yep. They had an average offense. They yep. had an average offense. Actually, that's slightly Western. below average offense. Yeah, they were what sixteen, right? Yeah, sixteen in or offense? seventeen. Sixteen, seventeen yeah. in offense. So like they were they were middle of the pack, slightly below league average in offense. They're they're winning because they were one of the they were a pretty good defensive team. And let's and, be honest, and, that's not. Westbrook's not that's helping them a lot. On well, I was going to say. Well, well, I was going to say right. Like Westbrook's not awful. He he's not Isaiah Thomas on defense, but he's also not uh, John Wall on defense either. I mean, he's right. He's more of a negative than a positive. Yeah, no, for sure. And and, and I didn't even mention Taj Gibson, who who you know that he he only played twenty some odd games with them, but he obviously makes them a better defensive better defensive team too because right. he's a better defender than. Then Devonta Sabonis, who was starting the majority of the season, and you know maybe if Gibson's all there all year, maybe you know ten ten through six was so close close numerically, no, maybe Gibson there all year. Yep, maybe they're nine or eight or seven or something like that. Like this is this is a good defensive team. So there there's obviously no shooting. There's not shooting on this team. Right. If, if, I'm not debating that, but people equate no shooting around him to no talent around him. Right. And I just don't think that's true. There's defensive talent on this team, and there's there's not shooting. I mean, Old Depot had a pretty good shooting season. He fell off at the end of the year. I think Alex Abrinas is a, is a good shooter, but he's you know gotten inconsistent minutes, and, and he's a rookie. And I think he'll have a really nice – I think he'll become a really, really good three-point shooter. 
But, you know, as of this year, he just doesn't have the playing time and the minutes to, to make a big enough impact in that aspect. And they play a lot of laps without shooting. So it looks bad and it looks worse. But, like, defensively, there's a lot of talent. And I do think Steven Adams, if he were in a better position to to play, would look a little bit better offensively. I do think if Victor Oladipo weren't relegated to just being a spot-up shooter, you'd think he was a better offensive player too. Although maybe part of that's on Oladipo because he's a very deferential personality as a player. But I, I just think there's not like elite talent. It's not like there's a conference finalist team or anything. But I just think it's Russell Westbrook doesn't have to do as much as people say that he does. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and that, that's kind of why I wanted to get to – you know, this is something I was thinking about last night in in writing this uh, in in writing this Rorschach test column about Westbrook. Is you know, I thought about the Spurs, right? And you look at the way this, the way Greg Popovich manages his team, right? And throughout the season, he's constantly putting these guys, you know, these lesser players on the roster, these bench players, in situations where they can help, right? Where they can do stuff and gain confidence and. As the, you know, as they get deeper in the season, deeper in the season, and, and as they get into you know subsequent years, you know, you look at guys like Patty Mills, right, and Danny Green, and these guys that have developed from being you know basically towel waivers to borderline starters or starters or very good players. The guys get multiple contracts, right, because they kind of slowly develop and and get more confidence and and kind of move up the ladder, right. And I, I, I'm not I'm not saying the like. I'm not necessarily buying into the argument that the way Westbrook has played on offense has kind of stunned it, has like prevented his teammates from growing that way. But I do think it's fair to wonder with all the talk about how terrible the team, his, his supporting cast is and how I, I think rightly you say that they don't have many guys that can shoot the ball. Um, do you, do you buy it all into the argument that not necessarily the way Westbrook has played, but kind of the way that the thunder have built this season around him. Um, do you think it has, if not stunted the growth of some of these role guys, um, has it potentially prevented them from taking the kind of steps forward that I think it's fair to say the Thunder need them to, in order to, as they start to move forward here, develop the next team that cannot be, you know, like a six to eight team in the in the West, but a, a back to being a say two to four team again. You know, I don't know. Uh, I know it's, it's a really complicated hard complicated question. Yeah, it's just so hard to say definitively. You know, I I think I think it's hard because there's such a fine line between like say Stephen Adams. I think Stephen Adams is always the best person to have this discussion about. It's it's a hard line to say whether Stephen Adams's growth is stunted or whether there are just things he can do and he's not getting the opportunity to do them. And I don't know how much that stunts his growth moving forward. Or if it's just that he's not able to do them now, and then if he's put in, an opposite, in, in a position to where he can do them, maybe it takes a little bit for him to actually feel, you know, maybe mentally comfortable or in a routine to where he can do them. But, but his growth isn't necessarily stunted. So I don't know. Probably depends on the individual for that, right? Probably depends on how, how a person develops, what a person's mentality is, what a person's, like, development process is. It's probably hard to make, say that as a blanket statement for everyone. I'm sure it's probably true for some and untrue for others, but I just I couldn't tell you which one's which. Yeah, no, it it is kind of a fascinating it is kind of a fascinating question, and I do think as the Thunder move forward, I do think it's something that that re- they really need to figure out, right? Because you know they're I I think all signs point to Russell Westbrook signing this giant five year extension this summer. You know, if he doesn't, I think the Thunder would have to trade him then. Uh, but you know, assuming he agrees to that extension and signs up for the long term. 
you have to look at this. You have to look at this Thunder team, and you know they have to find pieces to start fitting around him. And if the way they're playing and the way they're kind of allowing him to become the axis of the universe with with nothing else really going on around him, if that is stunning some of those guys, particularly on offense, they're going to have to do something to change that if they want to start to develop some of these guys. But the guy, the guy I really wanted to ask you about was Adams. I'm glad you brought him up. You know, this is a guy who last year in the playoffs, like looked like a world beater. I mean, he in the Western Conference Finals absolutely demolished the Warriors inside in the conference semis against the Spurs. He was a, a human wrecking ball. I mean, he was just throwing LaMarcus Aldridge and David West and, and Tim Duncan out of the way. Uh, just just was a huge factor for them. And I really thought he had a chance to be an all-star this year. I thought he was going to take a big step forward. Um, and and he, he, his usage rate was up a little bit and his stats were up a little bit, but he just didn't, it didn't feel like he took a real step forward, at least from afar. Um, so I was curious, do you, do you think that the playoffs were more of an outlier with Adams? Do you think that he took a bigger step forward than people thought this year? Or do you think that there's still the potential that down the road, he could still develop more into more than what he is now, which is a very good defensive player who, you know, is good at catching a lob on offense, but that that's really about it. I think it's one of those situations where progression is not always linear. Like I, I think the same of Steven Adams' career path today as I did this point last year when he was when he was killing it in the postseason. I just kind of think it got a little bit more delayed, you know, maybe because of circumstance, maybe because like he's Steven Adams is what, twenty-three years old. Like he's right. he's been around he's been around forever and he's played in so many big postseason games around like Katie and and Russ and all those guys that like it seems like he's kind of like and he carries himself like he's an older guy, you know. He he anchors a defense, and he's he he really understands basketball. So you think of him as older, but like he's he's twenty three, right? And I think a lot of the times you see a twenty two or a twenty three year old play great in the playoffs, and or, or you know maybe play great for the end of a year, depending on what the situation is or something. And then the next year they take a step back, and we think, oh no, maybe he's not as good as we thought. And then a year or two later, that guy makes that jump, and I I kind of think that's going to happen with Adams. He has he has a he has a pretty solid post game. He's got that floater, which is pretty nice. He's he's got a hook shot. He's versatile. He's a better passer than I think he gets the opportunity to show. He'll make some really nice passes. He's got good floor vision. I think one of the things for him in terms of becoming a scorer, he's kind of like Oladipo. Like I described Oladipo's personality as deferential, and I think Stephen Adams is like that too. You know, he's never well. That whole at, team. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the problem, though, right? Like. That, that that team, and partly because of age and partly because of personality, is is basically entirely deferential to Westbrook. Well, is it the problem or is it by design? Well, well, I guess I guess I guess what I mean is the problem. In ter- it's a I think it's a problem in terms of trying to grow the team forward, right? Maybe maybe I mean look, Bill, Billy King has talked openly about when he put together those like late '90s, early 2000s Sixers teams. I know you know this. Yep. Where like he puts. You know, people used to say, well, there are no weapons around Allen Iverson offensively. And Billy King has talked about, well, we, we couldn't put a ball-dominant guy next to Allen Iverson because Allen Iverson wasn't going to give him the ball. So we had to put guys who, who, who would fit off the ball and who could just defend like crazy on the other end. Well, so we'll, think, give him and we'll give him Theo Ratliff and we'll see what happens. Right. And I, that's true. And that's 100% right. And I, I think that Sixer team is the best analogy and the best like historical comparison to this Thunder team. The problem is that the NBA was about as weak as it's ever been in the late nineties and early two thousands. And so it's, uh, I, I think trying to build a team in that mold, which I think you can argue that's what the Thunder are doing now. I just don't see how that's going to work. 
And I think if that's the if that's the long-term play with Westbrook, like the Thunder will be a nice team and and he'll be very fun to watch for a while. But I, I just don't see how in today's NBA that's a that's a path to being a successful winning franchise at this point. Well, I, I think you have to build the 2017 version of it, right? Like there wasn't there wasn't that much shooting on right. that team. Right. But if you if you surround if you almost combine that and like the philosophy, like that's not that much different than what Houston, if he's got shooters around him, like obviously he's a different type of player than James Harden to some degree, but there, there are a lot of commonalities between those two guys. And James Harden is still a guy who like if Russell Westbrook didn't exist, we'd all be talking about how James Harden just dominates the ball to an inconceivable degree, right? Because he, everything goes through Harden in that offense. And there are other offensive weapons, but it's not like Eric Gordon is creating all that much. He's catching shooting and, catching and shooting and Ryan Anderson is catching and shooting and Trevor Ariza is catching and shooting. And those are great off ball players who have had fantastic seasons in their roles. But James Harden is the guy who's going through everything through. Now, I don't think Russell Westbrook is ever going to be as good of a distributor as James Harden is. I think James Harden is, is a fantastic passer and has become a really willing passer. And I don't know if Russell Westbrook is ever going to be quite as willing as James Harden is in that system, no matter what. But I do think if there are shooters around Westbrook, like it can, I think it can work. If you've got three and D guys around him, now it's easier said than done. The Thunder have been trying to get a like one three and D guy for like 18 years now. Yeah, I was going to say, haven't the, even Thunder, done that. the Thunder are basically every team in the NBA because everybody wants that three and D guys and nobody actually has any. Right, right. But if we're just speaking like hypothetically, like right. can it work? How would you do it? What's the 2017 version of that Philadelphia team? To me, it's just like the three, you put guys who can shoot threes and who can defend and like almost design that offense similar to how Houston's is, uh, and 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 just you gotta have guys who can defend on the other end. And I, I think that's a team that could that could that could win. Obviously it depends on who the players are, but like I don't think there's necessarily a cap on that type of team. It's just really hard to design that specific type of team because you need such specific types of players to fit into roles and that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I mean that that's definitely true. And and look, that to me is gonna be one of the fascinating things to watch about them going forward. Now, that being said, uh, let, let's spin this forward a little bit for a few minutes before we go. Obviously, the Thunder going to game three uh, tonight, so it's going to post Friday morning, uh, trying to save their season, right? And obviously, game two was better than game one, but, you know, still, if you look at the box score, you know, for, you know, Eric Gordon and Lou Williams were great, but Ryan Anderson still has had two bad games. You expect him to have a better game in game three. Um, you know, so... It's not like Houston's played his best game yet. So what what do you think that the Thunder need to do in Game Three to try to to get this series back on track and uh, and and pull within a game of Houston? I think Victor Oladipo needs to hit shots. I think that would that would, that help. would help. He's what one for thirteen from three now. Yeah, and he's five for twenty six from the field. Like he's he's got he's got to knock down shots. He he he's had he's had pretty open looks too. They're running him off the line a little bit, but but he's had. He's had some good looks. Like he's he's. It's not like he's he's forcing stuff up. He's he's taking the shots he was taking in the regular season. He's just kind of missing those shots. And and this is not a new thing. Like he he was nine for forty six in his last nine games to close the regular season. So he he ended the regular season in a slump and just kind of continued it into these first two playoff games. And I think he's got to he's got to hit shots. Um, and I think Billy Donovan's got to settle on some kind of rotation. Like, I, I I know that's something we haven't really talked about yet. Like, Billy played, he was 12 guys deep, 16 minutes into game two. He was already 12 guys deep. And it's funny because, like, D'Antoni plays his eight guys, and that's it. 
And like, you know, it makes you think back to like the Suns teams that were like seven guys and that's it. And Billy Donovan is coming to the playoffs and, and he's, he's going deeper into his bench and, and, you know, he's playing Kyle Singler 10 minutes and, um, you know, there are moments where I, I'm wondering, and, and I've asked him about this twice now. There are moments where I'm wondering, like, where's Taj Gibson? Where's Taj Gibson playing 21 minutes a night now? And, and I think settling on on some kind of a rotation as opposed to the random lineups that that he's kind of thrown out. And like, look, that's, that's a strength and a weakness of Billy Donovan. The that that flexibility and that like I call it like a rage against stubbornness that he has. Like he wants to be the most flexible coach he can possibly be. And he just rotates guys in and out all the time. And sometimes it's really good. Like, that's how he found the big lineup that helped them beat the Spurs last year. That's how he found the small one that was great against the Warriors in games three and four, the Western Conference Finals. So that mentality and that strategy has worked out great for him at times. But when it doesn't work, it just – it looks bad when, like, Stephen Adams picks up a fifth foul in the fourth quarter. He puts in DeMontis Sabonis over Taj Gibson, who's sitting there on the bench having played 18 minutes at the time. And I'm wondering, like, why you're playing Sabonis – at the five in that moment, Sabonis comes in, gets gets hit on a pick and roll, and then picks up a couple of fouls, and then he has to come out, and Canner goes in, and, and and just like that kind of stuff. Yeah, where was Taj Gibson? Did, it, did somebody ask Billy Donovan where Taj Gibson was? I asked. <laughs> I asked him. I asked him twice. Uh, I asked him after the game yesterday, uh, and he didn't really give that sufficient of an answer. So I asked him again today, and uh, and and. He kind of said that um, he he felt more – he thought that it was a good position to put in Domas in that spot, and he thought he was setting him up to succeed in that spot, but it didn't quite work. And he talked about wanting to play – in terms of not Gibson as much, he talked about wanting to play Grant more. Uh, and I, I guess I could have followed up asking about what like what about the Grant-Gibson front court and just going with three-man front court. Mm-hmm. I'm not like – like if I were him – and, and I think Billy Donovan's a good coach, so I don't want to make it seem like this is the other way. Like, I thought that he was going to come into this series uh, with a three-man front court. I thought it was just going to be Jeremy Grant at the four and, and sometimes at the five and Taj Gibson and uh, Steven Adams, maybe some canter minutes when, when Harden was off the floor, and that was all you were going to get. And, and he's just kind of rattled through everybody. And, like, they rented Gibson for this moment. Right. For this series. He's a versatile defender. He's had success with Chicago, switching on to guys on the perimeter. He's a, he's a really good pick-and-roll defender. He's a solid enough offensive player who can play well next to Westbrook. He's a good screen setter. Like he, he's, he's a veteran with playoff experience on the youngest team that's currently in the playoffs. Like This is, this is why you got Taj Gibson. He's a rental. Like he's, he's, There's a less than 50% chance that he's going to be on this team next year. This is the reason that you got Taj Gibson. And I just think it's weird. It's not like he's not playing. He's played 21 minutes. I'm just surprised that the number is is that low. Yeah, it, it was strange. I mean, I was watching that game yesterday, and, and I was kind of going, all right, where, where's Taj Gibson? It would make sense to bring him in. And then it was like, all right, Steven Adams gets his fifth foul. I was like, all right, now Taj Gibson's coming in. Nope, <laughs> going to Sabonis. Nope, going to Canner. I was like, what, what are we doing here? Like, where where is this guy? It was it was very odd. And then a lot of time he's playing, you know, down towards the end of, uh, end of these games with um, – you know, with Jeremy Grant in the game, when I, I, I mean, I understand he's a little more athletic maybe, but I'd still rather have Taj Gibson on the court than Jeremy Grant, frankly. Uh, I, I'm with you. He likes, he likes Jeremy Grant more as a guy who can switch on to perimeter players than Gibson. I, mean, I, I, I know. I mean, I, I figured that was probably it, but I, I, personally, um, I, I personally just don't uh, 
I, I, I just didn't, I just haven't really understood it all year. What his, uh, or not all year, uh, just, I just didn't understand it in game two, what his, what he was trying to do. Um, it was, it was very, uh, it, it was very interesting to see. Um, and, and I will be, I will be very curious to see what happens in game three. Um, what do you, uh, what do you think will happen in game three before, before I let you go? What is, what is your, um, what is your prediction for how the game plays out? I think they're going to win that game. I don't think they're going to win the series. I think they're going to win that game now. I think they're going to take at least one of the two at home. Uh, they, they've been a really good, they've been a really good home team. I, I, I just don't see like they, they, they have all of these problems right now. I kind of think Donovan is going to fix the lineup stuff. I, I kind of think Russ is not going to chuck up like crazy. I have a feeling that they're going to have an internal conversation with Russell Westbrook about that fourth quarter, which they will never disclose and it will never get out. And the reason I say that is because if you look at Russell Westbrook's line from an October 28th game against Phoenix, it is almost exactly the same as his one uh, from game two. Like he had 51, 13 and 10 in that game against uh, in game two. He was 17 for 43 against Phoenix. He was 17 for 44 and uh, against Phoenix. He was two for 10 from three and in game two. He was two for 11 for three. Like the line is almost identical. Whenever somebody would ask, because we you know, they go on the road and, and, you know, you know, when you go on the road and like the road reporters ask the same questions every single time to, to the opposing coach when he's at availability. Mm-hmm. So the question that would always be asked more so than any other question to Billy Donovan, is this, is what Russell Westbrook is doing this season? Is it sustainable? Is it sustainable for your offense? And Billy Donovan would always say, yeah, it's sustainable. He can do this. If you look at this, I don't think he's taking bad shots. I don't think he's shooting too much. And then he always referenced back that Phoenix game. And he would say, you know, if there's one time this year where Russ had a performance where I'd say, you know, it's just not sustainable for his offense. It's for our offense. It's 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 that Phoenix game he had earlier in the year where he took 44 shots. And I just didn't think that was a sustainable form of offense. But the other stuff I did. And his line is exactly the same as it was in the Phoenix game. And I know it's (laughs) it's hard to pick up and displace one game to another because there's context and there's ways you're guarding and there's situation and there's all that stuff. But like we watched it, it's pretty hard to justify. It's pretty hard to justify over forty shots in any game that's not like a triple overtime game, right? Like, and that didn't look sustainable. And there were conversations had after that Phoenix game. That was really early in the year. That was the the second or third game of the season. I remember that game. I remember it was really it was really early. It was in October. Like it was really early in the year. And and there were conversations after that Phoenix game. Like all right, he obviously can't take forty four shots a game. How do we make this better? And I, I have to imagine that if that's a conversation they're having the first week of the season, it's sure as heck one that they're having in the middle of the postseason when it happens. So I think Russell Westbrook's going to come out and he's not going to play the same way because I think it would be hard for him to come out and do what he did in game two after kind of hearing it from from other angles. Because people think that he's not conscious of his decisions, of his poor decisions when they happen. And one thing that I've learned from covering him, he's actually very conscious of that stuff. When he when he makes bad decisions at the end of games, he'll usually own up to it. He'll usually say, "Yeah, you know what? I shouldn't have taken that shot." And and he's he's more self aware than people realize. Thing is, that doesn't necessarily always stop him from continuing to do it. Like he's it's just in his DNA. It's who he is. He he likes control. He thinks that him putting up the shot is the best thing for his team in pretty much any moment. But he will admit when a shot is is off or he he made a bad decision on the court. He's a lot more self aware than people say. He might do it again in this series because he might just forget and unleash, but I don't think it's going to happen in game three. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, 
I, I would think he'll probably bounce back with the home crowd. I mean, I, I think the Thunder win that game tomorrow. I, I think they lose the series in five. Um, I think they'll lose game four and then go back to go back to Houston and lose. But I, I think I think they'll win. I think they'll win game three behind that home crowd. They'll get their their, their role players. I think will play better. Um, you know, I, I do think they need. I mean, you mentioned. I mean, we didn't even really talk about Victor Oladipo. I mean, he has been awful these first two games, and they really need they really need him to step up and make some shots and make some plays for them. Um, one one thing actually, I do want to ask you uh, is there is is there any possibility that they that they just drop these Samaj Kristen minutes and and play Oladipo as the backup point guard because um, that that's been a that's really been a trouble spot all season. It's partly why I've kind of tossed out Westbrook's metrics because his his minutes have been so bad from a plus minus standpoint that that they've kind of I think a little artificially inflated some of Westbrook's metric numbers. But um, is there any chance that they go away from that uh, moving forward, or, or is or is there a reason that Billy Donovan is happy having him out there and would you know stick with that instead of changing it up? You know. I would have thought he would have done it by now. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the answer is probably not. <laughs> probably not. Like, wouldn't he have done it by now? We got a whole season, so. <laughs> got a whole season worth of this. Um, yeah, uh, I would. Here's here's why I want here's why I want Samaje Kristen playing. Okay. Because if he gets to guard James Harden, then his name is James backwards. You have the perfect palindrome <laughs> of a defensive matchup. Oh, James on it's perfect. That's great. That's I don't know if that's ever happened before in NBA history, but like it's possible that that's never happened before in NBA. How many people have names that are backwards I, versions? I'm sure you just I'm sure you just cracked the code here, my man. I, I think you, yeah, I think you just did. Like you're inside the matrix. Yeah, no, it's true. I I I just want that to happen one time this series. That's all I want. One possession. <laughs> well, hopefully, it happens in Game Three. Uh. I already told you all to, to, to read Red's Robertson story, which I will have in, in the blog post. But, uh, but Fred, uh, thanks for coming on, man, and give, give the people uh, places to find you and, and plug, plug some of your excellent work for them to read. Yeah, so you can find me on, uh, I guess, Norman, normantranscript.com. Or Norman Trans- my, my blog there is Thunder Road. It's under the sports tab on the site. And you can see everything there. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. I also have a podcast, which is on five days a week so if you really like the thunder or uh for some reason just really want to hear me talk five days a week uh you can you can listen to that you can find that on itunes or you know wherever else it's called lockdown thunder and uh sometimes it's me just talking to myself sometimes i have great guests like yourself who who tend to carry the show but that's always fun doing that and staying engaged with the fans too yeah fred's a good follow all over the place so um so you should definitely pay attention to him. But, uh, but all right, buddy, listen, I know it's, it's crazier in the playoffs, so I appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy game three and what should be a really interesting environment uh, tonight in, uh, in Oklahoma City. And thanks for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks. All right, thanks to Fred. Please go follow his work and check it out. He does a tremendous job in addition to being a good guy and a good friend of mine. So uh, please go follow his stuff if you're interested. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps. You can follow me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. Uh, you can find my work in the Washington Post or on the Washington Post website at WashingtonPost.com slash sports. Uh, please subscribe to and rate the podcast and review it on, on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, all, the re- all the reviews and ratings are appreciated, so thank you for them in advance. Thanks to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Glenn's a digital artist, the post, and a good dude and a good friend of mine. So please go check out his band and his work uh, online. 
Uh, please subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up. Uh, to do so, go to wapo.st slash post-up newsletter. That's wapo.st slash post-up newsletter. Uh, have picks for that for tonight's games or for the games each night and have analysis from the games the night before as well as some look-aheads to that night's games. A lot of, a lot of NBA content. Should be good stuff. Uh, follow our work on the Washington Post. We're covering, uh, covering Wizards, Wizards Talks, obviously, in depth. Uh, Candace Buckner and Jerry Brewer doing a great job with that. I think some other people might be in Atlanta, too. Um, and I'll obviously be writing about the whole league for, uh, for the website. And, and, you know, I'm out in the West Coast mostly, but writing about all, all 16 teams in the playoffs and also doing the postmortem series on uh, teams as they are eliminated for the playoffs is what, what they've got coming next. So a lot coming down the pipe for you from, uh, from us here at the Washington Post. A lot of good NBA coverage here during the playoffs. So, so check it out. And there'll be more podcasts, too. So listen for them. Uh, But thank you for listening to this one, and we'll talk to you all again soon.